Thanks for pressing play. By the end of this real different dialogue, you're going to gain a whole new lens on you. Yeah, you. You see, our guest today is the legendary Hal Elrod. And uh, in the world of kind of personal growth and personal development, Hal stands alone. And he's he's kind of uh, insightful in a way that sneaks up on you is the only way I can describe my experience of Hal. I've known him for many years. And uh, he's recently released a new updated version, uh, updated and expanded version of The Miracle Morning. And on Amazon, it's got over 33,000 ratings on it. To say that Hal has created a movement would be, to put it mildly, there's over 2 million copies of The Miracle Morning that have been sold. And uh, it's based on a very simple idea. If you do a couple things in the morning to focus on yourself and your goals, um, and the people that you love in your life, you can change a ton. And so The Miracle Morning is a really powerful book. It's made a difference to me. I highly recommend that you pick up a copy if you haven't. And on th this episode, you get to enjoy an extraordinary conversation with this man. The other thing, I don't know if you've noticed, but that people who've been through extraordinary challenge, um, extraordinary pain, they do bring a different, um, a different approach to a lot of these discussions about personal growth and designing uh, your own life. And Hal was uh, actually killed by a drunk driver. He actually died for uh, a little bit and was brought back. And then after he recovered from that horrible accident, he subsequently had to deal with some pretty challenging cancer. And I'm happy to say is doing great. And so there's an extra special quality about how how loves life and teaches us to love every moment. You're listening to Christopher Lockhead, Follow Your Different. Podcast Magazine has called us the best business podcast. And there are reviewers who call us asinine and overrated. Once the economist even said that I was off-putting to some. Whatever you want to call us, this is the Authentic Dialogue Podcast. And we're at a time in history where, having a, where we're having a dearth of dialogue. The kinds of dialogues we have around here are for business leaders, entrepreneurs, and category designers with a different mind. Now, as Joey Ramone said, hey-ho, let's go. So tell me why you love chickens. So, yeah, so we moved on a ranch uh, about two years ago, two and a half years ago, my wife and, uh, and me and our kids. And uh, yeah, man, you, you've come up for me a lot because you used to always talk from stage at, at, at my event about your chickens and this affinity you had for chickens. And I was like, what a weirdo. I didn't really get it. And, uh, and now I've got, I think we have about 25 chickens and I just, I love I love them. I love our chickens. I talk to them like they're babies. I go, oh, come here, little chicken. <laughs> you know? so, yeah, man, I'm, I'm a fan. I get it. And they talk back, right? Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Actually, it's funny. Our turkeys, you know, we have, uh, we've got a few turkeys. And, uh, you know, the whole, the sound that they essentially make, the gobble, gobble, gobble. And uh, the male turkey, Jeff, if he gobbles, and if you gobble back, it, it's it's a, you know, you go as long as you can possibly go. And, uh, you know, it's like, who can outlast? And he'll just gobble back at you indefinitely, man. It's wild. <laughs> <laughs> it's so fun. And 
Yeah. Was, yeah. Funny thing about talking to chickens, you know, we have them in our garden and we now have, uh, we have nine. We have four older gals, two of whom are 10, okay. one of whom is eight. Um, and then we got five new babies this spring. And so they're oh. all making eggs and they're all fully energetic and jazzing around and all this kind of stuff. And I like to work outside. You know, we live in California. It's beautiful. We have high-powered Wi-Fi. So I sit in the garden. I actually like to lay down and write, you know, lay down on the outdoor couch, do all my writing. And invariably, <laughs> within a few minutes of kind of getting in my happy zone, yeah. I've got two or three hens ju literally jumping on me. Yeah. <laughs> and this is the thing I, I think people don't understand is how loving they are. They're just like yeah. dogs or cats, how personality rich they are. They want to be all up in your business. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, same thing. Well, you know, I'll lay out at the pool during the, you know, in the summertime and yeah, the, you know, I'm surrounded. It's so funny. I'm just, I'm like, I never imagined I'd be laying out at the pool and just have chickens surrounding me, you know? Yeah. No. And aren't they great with children? Yeah, man. They're, uh, yeah, they're, they're good. They, uh, my, my wife is, I call her the, you know, she's the crazy chicken lady. They, uh, they follow her around, you know, cause she's the one that throws them the scratch and, you know, feeds them and, and all the things, man. Yeah. It's, uh, it's fun. And I, I, I have come to a place where I believe how that if you could house train chickens, they would not be food. <laughs> there you go. I think so. Yeah, yeah, it's funny. We have our sheep always. The chickens, I'm sure, would come in the house, but the sheep, uh, if we leave our door open, I just watch our sheep creep it. They they want to come inside our house so bad, but uh, but they they poop as much as chickens do, man. In fact, everything poops, right? That's you move on a ranch, and it's like you have to walk like you're like you're dodging landmines every single day. There's fucking poop everywhere, <laughs> everywhere, man. <laughs> poop, chicken poop, dog poop, sheep poop, turkey poop, horse poop. <laughs> <laughs> but of course it makes the most legendary compost. That's right. That's right. So, and, and your health is good. Yeah, man. I'm a cancer free for, gosh, I was diagnosed in 2016, uh, three years of chemo. So what is that? I, I actually, I stopped in 2020 was my last round of chemo. And, uh, so yeah, it's been, it's been over three years, almost three and a half years since I did any chemotherapy. And I don't count my remission. Like they, they told me I was in remission a few months into chemo. And I'm like, I'll, I'll start paying it, counting it once I stop poisoning my body with this chemotherapy. And, uh, you know, so that was, uh, again, May of 2020 when it had just taken a toll. I was mentioning before we started recording, man, it, it, it destroyed, I destroyed is a strong word, but it, it had major detrimental effects on my brain, which led to major, uh, detrimental effects to my mental health. Um, not being able to think like I used to, not being able to, to comprehend things like I used to, having the worst memory of anybody that I know. I struggle to learn things now because I, re I mean, I'm the slowest reader now because I got to read a, I got to read a few pages. If I go too far, I can't remember what I read on the first page. And then I got to read those same pages the next three or four days in a row. So it'll take me months now to finish a book. Anyway, so yeah, man, it's, 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 uh, it's been challenging. And I really, I feel, I was thinking this morning in the kitchen, how I was just making my salad actually for lunch. And I said, I was like, man, it just, it, it just, you know, chemotherapy, it is what it is. I don't know if we call it a necessary evil or what, but I just think about how many people I'm like, I can't be the only one that, uh, you know, that, that has suffered major cognitive, mental and emotional challenges after enduring chemotherapy. Uh, I've talked to many friends who say very similar things, uh, mm. very similar things. The other thing I wanted to share with you is I was very much as soon as uh, as soon as your folks were in the in, in my inbox, 
I thought, wow, it's been too long since we spoke. And uh, I, I, I wanted to share with you how glad I am you're here. Mm. Thank we, you, brother. Um, I appreciate that. Our friends, we just lost a dear, dear friend, a guy named Marcus, just shy of his 50th birthday to brain cancer. And like you, spectacular family, wonderful wife, wonderful kids, uh, great guy. You would have loved him. Everybody loved him. Everybody thought he was his best friend, their best friend. It's so funny. Yeah. It was like 500 people at his paddle out, and every single one of us thought, thought Marcus was our best friend. Yeah. They, they so, took the mic and said, I was Marcus's best friend. And you're whoa, whoa, whoa. I was Marcus's best friend. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And it just, as I started to think about our conversation today, it just made me, you know, it, it just so painfully. Uh, powerful, you know, uh, a couple months before Marcus died, he was here visiting me. He loved Santa Cruz. He was a great surfer and we were talking about it and he was talking about how he was living from test to test and li living by month, month by month, uh, knowing that he more than likely didn't have much time. And, you know, it's a very powerful thing when you're with somebody that you love, who's in that kind of a situation. Anyway, yeah. it just it just made me think about you and everything you've been through because obviously you had life threatening cancer, and the drunk driver tried to kill you, yeah. and um, and yet luckily um, we still have Hal. So I just want you to know I'm really glad you're here. Thank you, brother. I appreciate that, Chris. And um, yeah, man, I don't know what uh, I don't. I, you know, I'm still still trying to figure out my lot in life and. <laughs> why I've been through some of these horrific experiences, but I do, I have gotten really powerful, you know, I guess you could say spiritual messages that like, this is the path, like you are supposed to go through these experiences so that you could learn from them, grow from them, take them head on, and then share your message with other people so that they could overcome their challenges. And so I have gotten that message that I'm a messenger and um, I'm just doing the best I can to, to keep, keep sharing with other people. And if it's too personal, by all means, kick me under the table. Um, I just wonder how much your spirituality um, has has played in your life mm. since your accident, a horrible drinking and driving accident it, that you were a victim of, obviously. Yeah. And then subsequent to that, I mean, you've had a pretty, pretty serious run with cancer over many years. Yeah. Yeah, I think spirituality is a big part of my life, uh, you know, and I, I, I grew up uh, Catholic. I was, you know, went all the way through, was confirmed when I was 18. And um, and that was the foundation of my, I guess, spiritual journey, if you will. And then uh, throughout my 20s, it was it was researching or learning about other religions uh, and other faiths and disciplines and, you know, learning about Christianity and Judaism and, and just various, you know, a lot of Eastern religion and philosophy and Buddhism and uh, Hinduism and, and, and really trying to look for the common themes between all of them. And, the, you know, the, the best I can come up with, and I feel like I'm still trying to figure this out too, you know, it's like, I don't have it like, oh, I, kn I know, I know it's, this is exactly how it is. And there's no other way about it. And I think that, I think that a lot of people, and I don't judge, you know, if someone's faith is I know this is what I believe. I think that's great for me. It's, um, it's, uh, it's, I look at all these common themes and it seems like different people, different groups of people at different times in history tried to make sense of, of, of God of this higher power, of this 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 intuitive voice, this the way of something. 
Um, and, uh, and that's where to me, different religions were born. And so I feel like for someone to say that mine's the right religion and the other 2000 some odd religions are wrong. I feel like that. Are you sure? Like, you know, again, I know you, 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 your, your parents told you this was it or, or whatever. Like that's for me. It's like, I was told this is how it is. Um, but I feel like, yeah, I I really would rather be kind of more of an all-inclusive perspective and go, I think this is just all people trying to figure out what God is and who, who he or it is. And, um, you know, and make sense of it. And, and yeah, so, so that's kind of, but my spiritual journey, let let me, let me close that out with a more direct answer to your question, which is I have always prayed. I've always had a very close relationship with God. Um, it's a very personal, intimate relationship. Um, yeah. And so it's gotten me through a lot of, a lot of challenging times. And, um, you know, and I think that, uh, for me, it's a lot of it is like, is a belief useful, right? Because nobody, other than your faith, you don't actually, right? Nobody knows when we die what happens. Like you don't know, you have faith that I've, I've been told it was this and I've maybe had, I've been maybe told directly from God, whatever. But, um, but, uh, but yeah, for me, it's always been more the personal relationship. And, uh, and I go, it, it's really useful for me to, to talk to a higher power and to, uh, to lean on a higher power and to put faith in higher power. And then the last thing I'll say is I feel like I've had so much evidence that's just too specific to be a coincidence where I was like, I, I prayed for this thing, right? And it's like, you know, and it happened in a way that like, wow, that was, that was, that was really profound. Um, and it's like Steve Jobs says, you can only connect the dots looking backwards. And I feel like I've had so many spiritual experiences that ring is so true for me that uh, I guess that that is where my faith comes from. And do you still consider yourself a Christian or, or not? Yeah, it's a hard, I mean, my, the, the initial answer is yes, but it, but it's, but I think it's dependent on someone's definition of a Christian because I have, I've, you know, I, I go to a Christian church almost every Sunday with my family. Um, you know, I study Jesus, uh, I, uh, right. And I, I try to be Christ-like, um, but I don't know that I fully believe everything impeccably 100% that I've been told. Um, I'm to me, it's, you know, so, so yeah. So, and I, and I think that for me, and I don't mean this to sound, I don't want to be come across arrogant or anything, but, um, if someone says I'm a Christian, you go, why? Well, because I believe everything that I was told, right. You know, in the, in the Bible or whatever. Um, or I gave my life to Christ, you know, he's the way the light. Okay. Um, do you embody, do you live like Jesus Christ? Cause to me, that is, to me, that's a Christian. And so in it, the answer is by my definition, Hundred percent. I truly try to live in alignment with Jesus Christ and and other, you know, mentors and people, right? But I would say that yeah, I try to live in alignment with uh, Jesus's example. In fact, it's in my affirmations every day to continue to learn about Jesus Christ and and model how he lives his life as a way to live mine. So in that way, yes. Um, but I'm sure some people would, if they quizzed me and they're like, well, do you believe this? And do you believe this? And is this, I'm like, ah, they're like, you're not a Christian. So yeah. So it's a, it's a loaded answer. I love your answer. Um, I think it's a great answer. Uh, I think you are a Christian if you say you are, and we can all decide to believe and practice, uh, a faith or that faith or any other faith in the way that we want. And, um, I don't speak for God, of course, but I, I, I don't know. The interpretation I choose for God is is one of uh, 
um, you you be a good person and we're going to be okay. And yeah. I don't, I like you don't uh, as I, I'm a Christian, but I don't have a, you know, if you're Jewish or you're Hindu or you're Muslim or you're whatever you are, if you're a good person, that's great. I don't even care if you are not a person of faith. Yeah. Although I, I must tell you, there's um, having been through a lot of hardship over the last handful of years, there's cer- certain songs that sort of speak out. And there's a song by a, uh, he started off as kind of a hard rock guy, the leader of a band called Stained. And now he does a lot of. Uh, okay. Kinda... I remember Stained. That was a great, yeah. Yeah. So, well, his name's Aaron Lewis. And okay. he does a lot of kind of solo country stuff now that's, that I also enjoy. Anyway, he has a great song in that vein called Everybody Talks to God. And it's, uh, you know, it's it's one of those sort of, there's no, there's no, there's never an atheist in a foxhole. And I, so I, I, I think when, when we're faced with those things, um, many of us uh, lean on faith. Now, the other thing I was really thinking about wanting to chat with you about, if I think about your work, you know, and I've been tracking you since you were a young buck. Um, and I haven't read every, I mean, how many Miracle Mornings are there now? 437? 429. No, yeah. A little over a dozen. Yeah. Uh, my favorite, of course, was uh, Miracle Morning for the left-handed um, a realtor on the East Coast. That was my favorite. <laughs> that, was a, that was a good one. Um, but I love your work. And I think it's so so simple and so powerful and so profound. And as I think of it, as more of a casual observer and consumer of you, as opposed to a hardcore super consumer of you, I think a lot of your work is about how how I can help myself um, lead a more powerful, on purpose, uh, meaningful life. And so it's it feels to me like it's very personal development oriented. Is is that is sure. that a fair assessment? A hundred percent. Yeah. So I think a lot of us still are, that works very important. If you're still, uh, if you're still breathing and you're not working on yourself, um, then you're probably not paying attention because I think working on yourself is a very powerful thing to do. But what I wanted to talk to you about in this regard is we're living at an incredible time for, I think, many of us, Hal. Yeah whether it's personally things that we've been through on the back end of COVID, the economy, um, if you look at the bifurcation in our country, um, it's it's pretty significant right now. And of course, as we look to the world, we have the first real war in Europe since World War II, yeah. which is absolutely horrible. And then, of course, we have the tragic events uh, of the Hamas attack and everything that's come since then um, in Israel. And so we're living at a time when it feels like the world is very broken and very hurt. And I think a lot of people in your world are very empathetic, as I have hung out in the Miracle Morning universe from time to time. And people are very, very empathetic towards others. Uh, I remember years ago, um, after my friend was murdered, having that incredible conversation with John Berghoff at your event in San Diego and the incredible outpouring of love and support of people in that room. And so you've you've really created a community of people who, um, with giant hearts, who give a fuck about others. I think now is a very difficult time for people who are very other-oriented. 
And not everybody is. And look, some people are caught up in their lives. They have young children. They're struggling to, you know, as George Bush said, keep, keep food on the family. Inflation's very gas. You know, there's there's a lot of reasons why you could be very self or small sure. micro family oriented, which are completely fine. Yeah. And of course, when we fire up our browsers and our smartphones and we just look at the headlines, there's some pretty powerful and upsetting headlines. So all that is to say, as you think about all of the work and all of the learnings that you've done on self-development and, and especially bringing yourself through such incredible pain and suffering, how do, how do your insights apply to how we deal with the gap between the way the world is yeah. and the way many of us wish it was? Yeah. It, you know, it's a question that for me came up in early 2020, right? When the world, when, we you know, when COVID hit and nobody, wait, is this the most dead? Is this the plague? Are we all dead? Is this right? Like nobody knew initially. Um, and, you know, for me, uh, for, so as a dad, right, that's my first, for, so first for me, how, how, what should I be focusing on right now for me to be at my best for the people I love, people I lead? Okay, check. What should I be focusing on for my family, right? So it's like you start in these concentric circles and go out. Um, and, you know, and as the leader uh, of the Miracle Morning community, what should I be helping them focus on? Which is really just going to be an answer for the first, you know, couple of questions, um, paying it forward to them. And what came up for me was uh, when we focus on that, which is out of our control, we feel out of control. And in 2020, I think that people that, uh, like that, which is out of our control was just amplified. It was like that be your consciousness went from focusing on the people that you love and the people in your circle of influence to wait, what's going on in this part of the world? What's happening in China? What's the government doing? Wait, what are they doing that I can't control? They're locking me in my home. I can't go anywhere. Wait, they're forcing medical procedures. Wait, I'm going to lose my job. Right? So we became hyper-focused on that which is out of our control. And again, when you focus on that, you feel out of control, which causes anxiety and it causes stress and it causes fear and it causes depression. In other words, it literally lowers our level of consciousness. And as you go down on the scale of consciousness, right, life becomes far more difficult. Your mental health suffers. And so if when we focus on that, which is out of our control, we feel out of control. I asked myself, well, then what should I focus on? And the answer was I should only focus on that, which is in my control. That's it. Literally. There's no point in wasting energy on, on worrying about stressing over things that I have zero influence or control over. And that's where my miracle morning uh, you know, because that became the answer is the miracle morning. For those that don't know, it's a daily practice. It's practiced by over, uh, you know, roughly 2 million people in over a hundred countries. And uh, it's a daily practice where you start your day in a peak physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual state. And then you dedicate time through a six step process in the morning to your personal development, as you mentioned earlier, so that you can every day be become a better version of who you were when you went to bed the night before and get better and better and better every day, plus show up at your best for the day at hand, right? So it's not that it's the long-term is you're growing and evolving into the best version of yourself, but the daily benefit is like, I am now, I started my morning in the best possible way. So I'm at my best for my family, for my clients, for my employees, for whoever, whoever I show up for. And so I just doubled down on my miracle morning. 
it was like, oh, I really, like when, when life feels out of control, focusing on showing up at our best is, is, is it, it parallels in comparison to the out of controlness, if that makes sense, right? The more out of control it is, the more we need to really double down on our self-care and on showing up for those we love and those we lead. And here's the thing. You know, if you, they like, they, I don't know, there's some, I'm sure, quote, something along the lines of like, if you want world peace, it starts with inner peace, right? Like, you can't change what's happening in Ukraine or in, right? Yes, you can send money. Yes, you can pray. Yeah, yes, you can do some of these things. And again, but you can control praying. You can control sending money. But worrying about the things that are out of your control is futile and it harms you. It harms you. It harms your mental health. And then therefore it harms every person that you come in contact with. We spoke at the beginning before we recorded. I was like, yeah, my mental health is struggling a bit. You know, um, my kids feel that my wife feels that. So to me, I have a responsibility, not only to myself to do my miracle morning and show up at my best for the people I love, people I lead. It's about them as it is, as much as it is about me. So that, yeah, that to me, there's the initial high level answer of, of how this all makes, uh, works together and what matters when, when the world's falling apart. A dear friend of mine says, focus on the micro, not the macro. Yeah. So here's my dilemma with that. Uh, so mm. I agree with all that. And all of that works for me too. And there are many of us, particularly those of us who are entrepreneurially oriented, who view themselves as creators of something, people who quote unquote make shit happen. Yeah. Uh, I, I've spent my entire life uh, sticking the middle finger up at the status quo. And I'm not like many uh, entrepreneurial people. I'm not somebody who's very good with the answer of, Oh, well, that's just the way it is. <laughs> I'm, I'm yeah. somebody who believes that I can make a difference in the way mm. that it is. Yeah. And therein lies a further dilemma, which is, okay, on one hand, I agree with everything you just said. And by the way, if you go, if you fall too deep into the Ukraine crisis or the Israel crisis or whatever other crisis is pulling on your heartstrings right now, because you're a human being and you realize that just because you live in a part of the world that this is not happening doesn't mean that these aren't real people in the, in the part, you know, we under, those of us who have friends from around the world, those of us who have traveled, we realize there's no difference between people in Israel and people in the Ukraine and people in no. the Arab world. They're just other people. We just happen to be born here. And so those of us who on one hand want to practice that radical self-care so that we can be available, because if not, yeah. we're going to be in the corner losing our minds, screaming, crying, and be useful, useless to yeah, no, useless, useful to yeah. nobody. At the same time, there are many of us who say, hey, man, I might not be able to stop the war. I might name, you know, but... I can do more. I can do meaning. I can have an impact beyond just, you know, being kind in my neighborhood and yeah. and sending a little bit of money because I, I, I want to make a, a, a bigger difference than just a small micro difference. And yeah. so is there an in-between here somewhere? Well, honestly, I think that the answer is the same. It's just the continuation of the answer that I gave which is for you to make that bigger impact that you want to make, it takes you being at your best, right? It takes you optimizing your mental and emotional state so that you can serve at the highest level. 
right? If you're emotionally distraught because your mental energy is going into worrying about the things that are out of your control, then you're coming from a place of fear, which whether you study psychology or just common sense, right? That's never the best place or state to come from for you to be effective, for you to think clearly, for you to figure out solutions. So when I say that, you know, the miracle morning enables you to be because or every day start, you know, and be your best for those you love and those you lead, right? To me, that's humanity. In fact, the miracle morning mission is to elevate the consciousness of humanity one person and one morning at a time. So if you think about that, it starts with you. It starts with me waking up every day and dedicating time to being at our best for those we love and those we lead. And then we are that one person every day that can go out and affect other people. But it, and it goes back to, you know, it's, it's, it's so, it's ad nauseum, the, the oxygen mask analogy from the airplane, but that really is what it is, right? You go, okay, put the, okay, now I have oxygen. Now I can go help my neighbors. Now I can go help the people in need only because I took care of myself first. And so, you know, I think that it's one of the most, it's almost, it's being selflessly selfish, right? That you got to take care of yourself first then you can go help other people. And I know for me, when I struggle with my mental health for whatever that reason that is, I'm a mess. I can't help anybody. And I'm, and, and to your point, you know, you said there are people, most people care about others, but so, if you're struggling, if you're struggling in any way, so whether it's, if you're struggling with your mental health, if you're struggling with your finances, if you're struggling with your marriage, but, and all those external struggles tend to fall back on your mental health anyway. So it all comes back, right? But you become self-centered. You become self-centered because you're, you're falling apart. You can, you're barely holding it together and it takes every ounce of your mental and emotional energy just to put on a smile, right? But if you're good, even if, if life is stressful, you know, I mean, for me, I think one of the most powerful lessons that, that the Miracle Morning taught me, and actually I probably learned this before Miracle Morning, but when I had cancer specifically, the day that I was diagnosed with cancer, I was 37 years old. I had a seven-year-old daughter, a four-year-old son, a wife whose age remains unknown to this day. Um, but uh, By the way, but, as a side no, note, my, my yeah. father, Bruce, explained to me a long time ago. He okay. said, son, women only have two ages, below 21 and above 21. <laughs> there you go. Uh, so... Um, now I forgot where I was going, Chris. You know, I got brain damage. I got so oh, cancer. So the day I was cancer. diagnosed, so you know, we're in the doctor's office, and and I had it, it had been eleven days where I was experiencing major health issues. I couldn't breathe. They kept draining my lung with fluid every other day at the ER. Testing didn't know what was wrong. When they finally figured out, oh, you have this rare aggressive form of cancer. It's called acute lymphoblastic leukemia. Um, you have a twenty to thirty percent survival rate if you start chemotherapy to today. So your best odds, if you start chemotherapy that's going to devastate your body, uh, are 20 to 30%. And I always use the analogy that or the comparison. That'd be like if you went to a financial advisor with your wife, right? My wife's sitting there in front of the doctor holding my hand. And I said, hey, we're, you know, every, we've got our, our nest egg, our life savings, our life pretty much depends on this money. Should we trust you with it? And he goes, yeah, I, I can guarantee a good 20 to 30% that I'll, I'll not lose at all. But there's a 70 to 80% chance that I'm going to lose everything you have. Like those were the best odds we were given. But the day I was diagnosed, and, and, and this came from the car accident 17 years prior. That's where I really learned this, this superpower, if you will, that anybody can adopt. 
I said, sweetheart, and she was, my wife was so scared, of course, you know, there's the odds are I'm going to die. And they literally gave me, it's a few weeks out. My organs, my heart was failing. My lung was collapsing every other day and my kidneys were failing. So this, this is a blood cancer that attacks your organs and they just shut down. And I was given two to three weeks to live, but the best thing I could do was this chemo. And anyway, I told my wife, I said, sweetheart, I've been through not this, but I was told when I was 20 years old that I would never walk again. I broke, I woke up from a coma after having 11 broken bones, being dead for six minutes. I said, and I made the decision then that I'm going to be the happiest and most grateful I've ever been while I endure the most difficult time in my life. And here's the thing for anyone hearing that, you probably go, that doesn't make any sense because we've been mistakenly conditioned to believe. When good things happen, I get to feel good. But when bad things happen, I have to feel bad. That, that's just the, that's just quote unquote normal, right? I feel good when life's going good and I feel bad when life's going bad. And I'm going to invite you all to consider, and we can unpack this as much as we need to, but a different paradigm that how about no matter what happens in your life, you get to feel however you choose to feel. In fact, Victor Frankl said this, who survived the, the, you know, the Holocaust. It's the last of man's freedom to choose one's own attitude in any given set of circumstances. And so to me, it's choosing, I'm going to optimize my mental and emotional state, even when the world around me is falling apart. And that sounds great on one hand. And on the other hand, it sounds like intergalactic stupidity based on <laughs> the context that we come from, right? Yeah. Uh, the other thing about Frankel, and I turn to him all the time, I, I read A Man's Search for Meaning when I was, I think, about 13 or 14 years old, and I've read it many times since. Um, he also talks about being worthy of your suffering. Mm. And a little bit ago, we had Dr. Gladys McGeary on. And Dr. Gladys is the godmother of holistic medicine in the United States of America. She was the first oh, person wow. to practice uh, acupuncture. Her parents were missionary doctors in India, and she became a doctor in, at a time in the United States where women could not have their own bank accounts without either their father or their husband. Today, Dr. Uh, Gladys is 102 years old. I was going to ask that. Okay, well. And her new book is a stunner, an absolute stunner. What is it called? I knew you were going to ask me that. I think so <laughs> <laughs> I'm look it up right now. I have it right here. The well-lived life. Yeah. Hey, and uh, I'll tell you, uh, 102 years old, uh, holistic medicine, I would I'd definitely say there's a correlation right there. And she's a medical doctor. Oh, wow. And one of the things that Dr. Gladys says, you know, and it's, it's one thing when somebody who's, let's just say for lack of a better description, a more normal person says it, at least for me, it's a different thing when a 102-year-old godmother of medicine and 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 holistic medicine uh says it and she says everything's our teacher mm. and that's a tough pill to swallow in a moment of radical sorrow or radical pain or or where you're sitting there and going wait a minute i'm 30 what you were 37 you said when when i had cancer 37 20 with the accident yeah 37 and they say to you you have weeks to live and so now you got to get right with your family and right with God and, and, and right with the fact that you're about to go. 
And so in those, in those insane moments of pain and suffering and upset where the monkey brain does fire off, right? It is radical survival and you're not the Zen, calm, wonderful, cool hairdo, glasses, t-shirt, Hal Elrod I see today. You're a freaked out, scared kid yeah. um, in a hospital bed. How do you make that your teacher? How do you live this in those moments, Hal? Yeah. So, it, you know, I think we talked about this last time we talked, however many years ago that was, a few years ago. Um, I learned it should something be more when regular. I w- you should uh, please Dude. come back at least once a year, twice. I mean, oh come my on. Gosh. My I fault. would be honored to be an annual. I adore uh, you, Hal. I adore you. Uh, thank you, brother. I feel, feel the same, man. So I, when I was 20 years old, I was in sales and I, I sold Cutco Cutlery. And on my second day of training, uh, my mentor, my manager, Jesse, said, uh, he said, y'all are going to experience levels of discomfort and, and, and fear and rejection and things you've never experienced before. He said, sales is a microcosm for life in terms of adversity. He said, in other words, the average person gets re- experiences rejection occasionally, like maybe a few times a year, maybe, right? You're going to experience it 10, 15, 20 times a day. And at 19 years old, I'm like, whoa, whoa, okay, wait, what did I sign up for, right? And he said, um, failure, same thing. You know, somebody maybe fails, they don't reach their goals once a year. You're going to fail to reach your goals, you know, two weeks out of the month, right? <laughs> Go, okay. And he said, you need a strategy that enables you to quickly move through difficult experiences uh, and maintain your mental and emotional state. Uh, and quickly move through them so you can keep moving forward, get back on the phone, get back on the horse and right, move on. And he said, he taught us something called the five minute rule. And if anybody's listening, this is a really valuable lesson. This is life changing. And it really is the foundation. Nobody of listens to this. Pal. No it's one just listens to this. <laughs> yeah. To, to Chris's wife. Um, the, uh, she doesn't listen. listen. My mother yeah. listens to maybe every third or fifth episode. My, my wife, I don't think, has ever listened to an episode. <laughs> yeah. I don't think, is my wife, I don't think she's, my wife's read The Miracle Morning, to be honest with you. Okay. Yeah. Um, and yeah. actually, as a side note, because I uh, do want to hear this. Uh, she just yelled from the kitchen, she's read it. All right. <laughs> Isn't it a powerful thing to have a spouse who's thoroughly unimpressed with you? <laughs> totally. Yeah. Right. Because everywhere you go, you're Hal Elrod, right? This. Yeah this guru from above, this person, right? I mean, there's people who love you and adore you and it's, they hang on your every word and stuff. And when you come home and you're the asshole who needs to take out the garbage, it's, it's, uh, it's the it's right humbling. kind of humbling, isn't it? Oh, totally. Yeah. And I got a 14 year old daughter that also rolls her eyes at, at me, you know? Um, I'm going to soundbite what you just said about me though. And I'm going to play that for a sweetie. Listen to what Christopher, <laughs> this guy's is smart. Um, but, uh, but no, so I learned this thing called the five minute rule. And, uh, and he said, this is the way that it was taught to me. He said, when you experience adversity, you know, whether it's small or big, he said, you set your timer on your phone for five minutes. And the, ex- the context was a customer cancels her order. You drive out to an appointment and they don't show up. You have a huge goal for the week. You give it everything you have and you don't hit it or for the month or for the quarter or for the whatever it is, right? And he said, also apply this in traffic. Like when you hit traffic, you set your timer on your phone when you experience adversity for five minutes and you give yourself five minutes to bitch, moan, complain, cry, vent, 
you know, whatever you need to do. He said, don't suppress your emotions. Don't, don't push it to the side because it'll build up. He said, feel it fully, grieve, right? And he said, but when the timer goes off after five minutes, you use those five minutes to process the emotions to get to the point where you can say three very powerful words. Can't change it. It's a simple acknowledgement. I can't change what happened five minutes ago. So there's no value in wishing it didn't happen. There's no value in dwelling on it, stewing over it, perpetuating painful, detrimental, distracting, inner turmoil, emotions, etc. He said, you say, can't change it. You take a deep breath and you realize, okay, I got, I, I got, I got a choice. I could, one of two things. I can continue to be upset over something that's completely out of my control, which doesn't change it at all. It just creates suffering for myself. Or I can accept it fully, which I might not be happy about it, but more powerful, I can be at peace with it. I can be emotionally neutral. I can stop resisting reality and wishing it didn't happen and instead go, the only logical choice I have is to be at peace with this thing I can't change and, and focus on where do I want to go and what's my next step? So when I first heard that, Chris, I said, you got to be kidding me. I'm not going to get over something in five minutes because I set a freaking timer. And the first time the timer went off after five minutes, I hit the snooze button and I go, I told you I'm still upset. And I snoozed three or four times, right? But something incredible happened. And, and I've, I've heard this from, I don't know, countless hundreds, thousands of people that have emailed me because I've been teaching this for 24 years. After a few weeks of doing this, I set the timer for five minutes and this woman had canceled the biggest order of my career. It knocked me out of the standings. It was a big deal. It was not good. And I set the timer and I go, ah, I can't believe she canceled her order. God, that was my biggest order ever. I needed that so bad. Oh, what am I going to do now? And immediately my brain answered, well, all I can do is accept it, get on the phone tomorrow, make more calls, dust myself off and go for my goal next week. And I picked up the phone and I had four minutes and 32 seconds left. And that was a life-changing moment because I went, oh, wait a minute. The limiting belief I had two weeks ago that said five minutes is not enough time to get over it. It's actually more than enough time. Once you understand that you are creating your emotional pain based on your resistance to reality. And so am I, we all are. Every painful emotion, every painful emotion that you or I have ever created in our entire life has not been because of the thing we think we're upset about. It's been because we were not willing to accept. We didn't know. And we unconsciously resist reality and create emotional pain. And the proof of that is that the exact same thing can happen to two different people. You could be in traffic. You've never learned this lesson. You think the traffic is what's pissing you off. And you're going, oh, I can't believe, go faster, I'm gonna be late. And you look over and the person next to you is going to the same meeting. They got the same consequence of being late, right? And they're zen. And you go, what, what, how are you doing that? It's because they, they just have realized, well, there's no point in wishing there wasn't traffic or wishing I wasn't late or wishing it was faster or wishing I left earlier. The only thing I can, can choose is how I experience every moment in this traffic. And I'm going to make that second choice to accept my life exactly as it is, let go of any resistance to reality, and be at peace. And I'll close out this, the, the lesson. And I learned that with sales challenges. A year and a half later, I woke up from a coma to be told I would never walk again. And I told my dad within five days, dad, if I'm in a wheelchair the rest of my life, I've decided 
I'll be the happiest, most grateful person that you've ever met in a wheelchair because I live my life by the five-minute rule. It's been 12 days since the car accident, seven in a coma, five awake. I can't change what happened to me, but I get to choose how I experience every moment of the rest of my life, and I want to be happy. So that's what I'm choosing. And Chris, that evolution, this wasn't an overnight I woke up one day and I'm like, oh, I have cancer. No big deal. This was 17 years of learning how to accept my reality exactly as it is, seeing the profound, liberating mental and emotional benefits, and then choosing to accept life before it even happened and go, oh, I bet more adversities in the future, I'm already at peace with it because I can't change it once it's happened. So I can choose, though, how I experience it. Thank you, Hal. Now, I want to go to uh, uh, another direction, something I've also been uh, thinking about and hoping to talk with you about. You are what I would consider to be a pioneer in the modern uh, mega category of what today we call creators. You're an author, you're a podcaster, you do conferences, you have digital communities, you, you, you have created a whole life for yourself and your family by creating a, a movement that is both digital and analog. And um, you're a creator in the very uh, most powerful sense of the term. So that's point A. Okay. Point B, we are at a fascinating time in technology development and particularly with AI. And I think we are much further ahead today than anybody could have possibly imagined even a few months ago. Yeah. So the breakthroughs are coming faster than, you know, and of course I live in Silicon Valley. I'm not the world's biggest expert on AI, but I know many people who are very expert on it. So I'm, I'm, I'm parroting things I've been taught. And of course, things that I witness startups. I, you know, I, I was on the phone uh, yesterday morning with a deep tech startup in AI and the things they're able to achieve are astonishing. Okay. So now People, A, want to be creators. They want to live a life where they can make a living and make a difference with something they generate or yeah. are part of generating, creating. In addition, there is an ever-increasing fear about AI and AGI. And even in the you know, first year that uh, ChatGPT has been out, you know, in the world of marketing and content, of course, there's a lot of people who've lost their quote unquote content creation jobs because you can ask ChatGPT to write you an incredible 500 words on the Roman Empire and it will. Yeah. Uh, and it might not be exactly what you want to what you want to publish, but it's a hell of a start. Yeah. Um, so I'm leading to a big question, which is in this world where um, around here, we believe there's a new layer of value in the in, in work. It used to be that the knowledge worker, as defined by Drucker, was the ultimate. I acquire high value knowledge, become a doctor, lawyer, accountant, nurse, da, 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 and then I get paid a lot to apply this knowledge. The new aha is that as the as the availability and cost of acquiring knowledge gets closer and closer to zero over time, the most valuable people will not be knowledge workers. They will be creators. That is to say, people who can take existing knowledge and their own know-how and their own insight and their own learnings and their own research 
and that of others and synthesize it into new things and go, ta-da, I've created a new thing, which is absolutely what I think you have done incredibly and, and continuously. So here's my question. How do you think about your career, the Miracle Morning community, being a creator in an AI world where a lot of people are afraid that thinking jobs are going to get taken by machines? Yeah. Yeah, I will say, you know, uh, plumbers and electricians may may be up there as, as, as the most valuable moving forward with that, you know, that, that line tell of you, thinking. When you need mm. a plumber like I did recently, you need a plumber. And when yeah. you need a legendary plumber, you really need a legendary. And when you find yeah. one, you do not let this person go. <laughs> yeah. 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 So there's definitely trade jobs that all of a sudden take on a very, you know, interesting new level of value in the marketplace. Although, you know, how long before robots are doing that? Um, I, I will say that, you know, that, yeah, that to me, it's the human element that AI can never replace, right? It can it can fraudulently duplicate, and it can it could you know could trick you. Um, but to me, it's the human element, and the obviously you know I'm not an expert in AI as well, um, so I definitely don't have all of the answers. But I, I do know that for me personally, uh, I've always everything that I do is I share stories, right? I, and they're usually personal stories. In fact, uh, I, I'm actually, I'm not as good at sharing other people's stories because I do struggle with brain damage. And so often I, you know, I, I remembering other people's stories in really cohesive ways is a little more challenging, not impossible, but you know, our friend John Berghoff, he's phenomenal at telling other people's stories much better than me. Um, but so for me, it's always been sharing my story and even in my books. And, and I often, when I meet people that are, that have read the Miracle Morning, um, the, they're often more connected to the story. And back then it was the car. There were two stories that were featured in the original Miracle Morning book, which was my car accident story. And then the 2008 financial collapse. And for those that don't know, um, I used the Miracle Morning. I doubled my income during the great recession, which is, it felt like a miracle. I told my wife, it was my morning routine. She goes, it's your Miracle Morning. And the rest is history kind of thing. Um, right there, there it was. That's the fastest I've ever summarized that real quick. Um, but the point is, I shared stories that people were, could relate to and go, you know, whether it was they could relate to maybe not the car accident story. They had never been found dead in a car accident. But when I talked about the financial collapse and how stressful it was and what it did to me, right, that's one thing that AI, they're not going to have human stories, they're going to be missing an element of human connection. When I'm on stage giving a speech, that's my favorite thing to do. Writing is difficult for me. Uh, I do it because uh, it's an important way to communicate, but it's really challenging. I love getting on stage, right? So a screen with chat GPT or even a robot talking to an audience, right? It's not, at least not now. I, I fear the day when that's going to replace humans, right? I mean, I think that everybody, there, there's this certain like, how far away are we from the sci-fi movies of the, you know, 80s, 90s, and 2000s becoming a reality, right? I think that is a fear that you addressed. Um, but yeah, but long story short, uh, to me, it's the more you can not only tap into your humanity, but the more you can tap into the humanity of another person by relating to them, by asking them thoughtful questions about that, that, that get them to think about their own humanity. I think that humanity, that's, that's the one benefit uh, of AI is I think it's going to make our, each other's shared humanity 
far more important than maybe it's been in the past. And so if I was a creator starting out today, yeah. Or even if I wasn't necessarily a creator in the sense that you are author, podcaster, internet guy, speaker guy, community builder, digital community guy, but maybe I was an accountant and I wanted to go beyond just applying accounting knowledge. I, I also wanted to help create net new things of value in, in addition to applying knowledge. I wanted to create net new knowledge. So I think we're moving to a world where whether it's on your own as an individual, on your own as an entrepreneur, or uh, as an as a employee on a team, the most valuable people will be the people who can, on an ongoing basis, create net new thinking, create net new knowledge, connect net new dots in a, in a radically human way. And so regardless of where I am on that spectrum, Hal, how would you want me to think about differentiating myself and adding value as a person who creates things, not just a person who applies existing knowledge. Yeah. For me, the, 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 the word that comes up is relationships, right? It's fostering meaningful, loyal, mutually beneficial relationships. Uh, another thing that I don't know how AI is going to replace that, right? Again, until we're, you know, we're marrying robot, mail order robot brides. I, that's probably, that's a, that's a category right now. You it's, and I should go in business. It, well, it's <laughs> happening in, it's been happening in Japan. People marry, well, okay. marry digital robots. Yep. Okay. All right. See, I, I'm, I'm behind, man. But yeah, so to me, it's the relationships. How do you develop uh, really powerful relationships? And I think about my friend, John Vroman. Uh, you know, John Vroman. He's the founder of Front Row Dads. Um, people are in Front Row Dads. And, and by the way, the, the tagline, it's, it's, for, it's for entrepreneurial fathers. And the tagline of the, the, that group is, it, this is um, businessmen, sorry, family men with businesses, not businessmen with families. Right, a lot of entrepreneurs, their work becomes their life, and then they got a family on the side. And he's really working to help men be the husbands and the fathers, and really keeping that as our, our highest priority. But eventually, front row dads evolved into a subcategory that he calls the brotherhood. And the brotherhood is there's really no separation between front row dads and the brotherhood. It's just that you're you're now part of the brotherhood. And you know, we've got an event, front row dads event coming up next month that I'll be speaking at, and uh, people are going there not just to learn how to be a great dad because think about here, here. Here's a hopeful answer to a lot of the question is information. You've been able to Google how to be a great dad for over a decade, right? So well, why would somebody pay thousands of dollars to join a dad's group? Because of the relationships, because of the human to human interaction, the empathy, the vulnerability, qualities that I don't know that as long as we're human being that will ever lose value. And so to me, it's doubling down on these human qualities and doubling down on fostering, whether you're an accountant or you're a plumber or you're a content creator, really creating meaningful, mutually beneficial, vulnerable relationships with the people that you serve. Uh, and I think that, you know, last night we have the new Miracle Morning book is coming out here in about, it's on December 12th, right? So it's the updated and expanded edition, 70 new pages of content. Well, I formed Just a Just in time for the holidays. That's right. That's right. Yeah. It's, it's, the, <laughs> it's the gift that keeps on giving, right? But um, we- Well, you uh, can never have enough Miracle Mornings as far as I'm concerned, Hal. 
Yeah. Well, it is amazing to see, you know, I've done about uh, upwards of 5,000 miracle mornings over the last 15 years. And we have people in our community that have in, they're in the thousands now they're on, you know, miracle morning, 2,352 and they keep track. Right. But we formed a launch team and I wanted it to be more than just a book launch team. I'm doing air quotes right now, book launch team. And so I really put a lot of thought into who are these people that are going to want to be part of this, this, you know, on the surface level book launch team? What do they care about? And what I realized, what I came up with is these are going to be people who have read The Miracle Morning, the original edition, and it has so profoundly improved, enhanced, transformed their lives that they feel a sense of responsibility to share it with as many people as they can so that their friends and their family and their colleagues and their clients and the people that they love and that they lead can experience similar benefits. And then I went, okay, well, that's what I did. So they're no different than me. I created this thing called the Miracle Morning. It was not a book idea. It was my own personal development ritual in 2008 when the economy crashed and I lost my house and I was I was feeling like giving up. And... I figured out if I want to change my life, I've got to change myself. I've got to become the person that's capable of overcoming the challenges I'm currently facing and, and the person that's capable of figuring out how to thrive even in the midst of the worst recession of my lifetime. I got to become that person. How am I going to do that? I got to create the most effective personal development ritual that enables me to do that. I did it. And after a few months, I started teaching it to my clients and then it changed their life and the light bulb went off and I went, wait a minute. If this miracle morning thing changed my life and their life and we weren't morning people, this could change anyone's life. And I have a responsibility to share it with as many other human beings as I can. So I wrote the book, right? I was a messenger. And so the, the anyway, long story short, the book launch team, it's the miracle morning messengers. And my goal was to have originally it was 100 people and then we had immediately more apply. And so long story short, we have like 800 people on this launch team. And we had a call last night and each we have a, a Monday Zoom call leading up to the book launch. And I have people we do different things every week, but it's like, hey, share why. Why are you on this? Like That was the first question week one. Why are you on the miracle morning messengers team? And it was this changed my life and I feel a sense of responsibility to, sh I want to help as many people as I possibly can. Chris, you got to remind me, what was the question? Where was I going with this? <laughs> no, you're, you're answering the question. The, qu the question centers on how um, exactly where you went, which is I'm a person, whether I want to be a quote unquote creator, as we understand it today, an independent person or a small group of people who create books and podcasts and videos and, and, and so forth and so on, uh, that definition of creator, or I'm an accountant uh, or anybody else who is in a more typical knowledge worker type job. That is to say, I get paid to, to, to apply knowledge that I have acquired to produce a result. So regardless of where you are on the kind of the spectrum, once you realize in an AI world that the most valuable people shift from being not just high-end knowledge acquirers and appliers, but there's yeah. a new level on the value stack, if you will, called creator. 
And that could be a person that creates new accounting approaches or policies or figures out incredibly powerful training methods or compliance approaches or budget, whatever it is, whatever the creative thing you're doing to forward your department, your team, your company as an employee, or whether I want to be more Hal Elrod-like Elrod or anywhere in between, I'm a person who now realizes I must create things, not just apply existing knowledge. What does Hal Elrod, one of the pioneers of what I think is the modern sort of model of digital creator, what's the learning from Hal? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and it, again, I, I really think that it's relationships. And, and when you say create, I would add the word value after that. Cause I think for me, that's a slight distinction that has a lot of value, if you will, in terms of that distinction of how can I create value for the people in my world? How can I add more value? And I learned that really that line of thinking from uh, Tim Sanders from a book called Love is the Killer App decades ago. And that became my, my purpose in life is to add as much value to the lives of other people as I possibly can. And I think that that goes back to being, that's another element of being selflessly selfish almost where I, I'm going to serve and it's okay to go, if I really genuinely come from a place of service and love and wanting to add value, not because of what I'm going to get in return, but because I really want to see people's lives enriched. I want to see their lives better. And it's okay to know on the back end that, hey, I bet that'll benefit me at some point. I bet the law of reciprocity will be engaged. And I bet that if I'm helping people all the time, some of those people are going to want to help me back. And that's where I was going is the relationship that I've developed with the Miracle Morning community. These messengers are like, they are so on board with sharing you know, my message. And sometimes I don't even, I feel, I don't like it. I'm like, well, no, you don't, don't make it about me. It's helping me. I'm really, I want to help other people. So it's like, there's sometimes a conflict of values, but the bottom line is no matter what your profession is, you're working with human beings and the more value you can add to their lives, the more valuable you become in their lives and the stronger the relationship and the stronger the loyalty and the more they're going to choose you over chat GPT when they need some help. I love it. Hal Elrod, is there anything else? I love you too, Christopher Lockhead, man. Thanks for having me on. God bless you, Hal. It's so great to see your face and your twinkling eyes and that big smile and to hear about your family and your chickens and your ranch and uh, that you're still writing and you're still out there stronger than ever. Thank you. Thanks, brother. Well, there he is, the legendary Hal Elrod. The new and improved Miracle Morning is out. His book before that is called The Miracle Equation. If you go on Amazon and search Hal Elrod, you'll see all his books. Uh, he's an amazing guy, as you just heard. And you can also find him at halelrod.com. Now, if you got some value out of this episode, as I know you did, please share this episode with somebody that you think Hal will make a difference for. You see, word of mouth is, was, and always will be the greatest form of marketing. And we really appreciate your WOM and your digital WOM. If you want to share this episode on social media, that would be awesome too. All right. We would like to thank you. Thank you very much for your time and attention. It means the world to all of us around here. It really does. Our friends at Autrenet, A-T-R-E dot N-E-T, have been building legendary B2B websites in Silicon Valley. For over 20 years. If you need a new website, if you need a, a, a facelift, an update, 
They have a program called the Rapid Relaunch Program that uh, I would encourage you to check out. My friends at Mighty Networks are the uh, leaders in uh, community and courses platforms. It's fantastic. We have built the Category Design Academy where we are teaching people how to be, you guessed it, category designers on Mighty. And so it's a community of people going through a training program, a course. And if you're in marketing and you want to start moving from funnels to communities, Mighty's your platform. If you're a creator like I am, this is the platform to build deep relationships and teach and connect with all of the people that matter in your world. And I'll tell you, you know, we're several months now into the Category Design Academy, and I didn't know what to expect. What I can tell you now, being a digital teacher, so to speak, is it is rewarding in a way that I never could have imagined. And so whether you're in marketing and you're looking for a new way to go deep with your customers, or you're an author, podcaster, or creator of any kind, why don't you consider joining us and build a Mighty Network? Go to MightyNetworks.com today. All right, I need to remind you that uh, today's Oddcast is the sole property of the Lockhead Oddcast Network, and all episodes do contain nuts. Please contact your lawyer, doctor, shaman, mystic therapist, yoga instructor, accountant, and of course, category designer before acting on anything you heard today. We are produced and edited by the greatest of all time, Jason DeFilippo. Check out his podcast, Jason and I met because I loved his podcast, and his podcast is called Grumpy Old Geeks. And if you like tech, and you're kind of getting a little grumpy, this is my favorite old man yelling, hey, get off my lawn, to the entire internet podcast. Check out Grumpy Old Geeks. Jamie J and Sarah Knox do a legendary technical execution around here, and they build uh, Lockhead.com. Show notes by GM Simon, the Bobus Brothers, RJ and EX do our web development, and Cedric Biros does our graphic and web design. If you want to learn how to become a category designer, like I mentioned, go to uh, category, <laughs> Jesus Christ, go to categorypirates.com and check it out. And you can also subscribe to our, uh, our newsletter at categorypirates.com. Our law firm is Whedon Jack, and our accounts are three balance sheets to the win. We record these uh, oddcasts on squadcast.fm, and uh, we use Dolby ADHD technology. If you want to send us email, send email just to blackhole at lockhead.com. That's blackhole at lockhead.com. The Tragically Hip Were Right. Listen to Leonard Cohen. Teach entrepreneurship, AI, and, of course, category design. Remember, the left lane is the passing lane. Prius drivers, Tesla drivers, I'm talking to you. Get out of the left-hand lane. Some of us are going somewhere. Thank you, Candy Dandy. I love you, Mom and Dad, and hey, Colin. This oddcast really ties the room together, doesn't it? Today, our deepest apologies go out to Sam Bankman-Fried. Sorry, Sammy. We just ran out of time for you. That's it. Thank you so much again for investing part of your life with us. All of us here appreciate it. Stay legendary, stay safe, and until we're together again... Follow your different. <laughs>